Yeah, as you look around, don't you feel the brokenness of the world? Yeah. Uh, why does God seem so distant or uninvolved in the affairs of the world? That's a good question. And there are lots of different answers to that. Uh, but, but if we're honest, are we all kind of asking, like, when will God show up in this trial that I'm in? Right? When, when will God show up and show out? But in, in so many ways, God gives us what we want as it relates to his presence. If we seek his presence, he will be found by us. If we want distance, he gives us that distance to our peril. And this is not a matter of his impotence, but his willingness to allow us to have the relationship level we desire with him. Every single person, try this claim on, every single person in this world has a relationship with Jesus. You think that's true or not? The thing is, for most of the world, the relationship is defined as enmity. Only through faith in Jesus can we be reconciled to God as his children, right? It's through obedience to Jesus. But there are these seasons in life, even as the children of God, even in the lives of his chosen people, Israel, where unless he shows up, all will be lost. So when everything is broken and, and hope barely wakes up in the morning, we need his mercies. And guess what? His mercy is new every morning for those who put their trust in him. Now, the situation wasn't much better 2,000 years ago for the chosen people of Israel. They were living in occupied territory, and the promises of God had seemed to come to nothing. A hopeful people, the Jews were mourning in exile, knowing that they had received just payment for their violation of the covenant. Their ancestors pushed Yahweh out in favor of the other gods and received the distance their desired distance from Yahweh, the Creator God, much to their dismay. When God gives you what you want, is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing? Now, leading up to their removal from the land of Israel, corruption and injustice ruled the day for the chosen people of God. And so he sent them away from their land. But then we, we looked at this, an angel named Gabriel shows up and starts making promises about a, tr a change that's coming. comes and interacts with Mary. And Mary says, I'm the servant of God and the happiest among women to not only be alive in the time when God acted, but to be the means through which he acted. Oh, happy day. Oh, Father God, use me in your kingdom like that. I'm all in. We've been talking about this. So Mary starts her song like this about, about what God has done for her. And we looked at this last week. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me happy or blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And now here, she sings about what God has done for Israel. 
and for the entire world. And it's our topic for today. Luke 1, 51 through 56, the song goes on. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And then closing in, in verse 56, Mary remained with Elizabeth, her cousin, about three months, probably to the birth of John the Baptist, and returned to her home. Tom Wright talks about how Mary and Elizabeth shared a dream, and it was the ancient dream of Israel, the dream that one day all that the prophets had said would come true. One day, Israel's God would do what he had said to Israel's earliest ancestors, that all nations would be blessed through Abraham's family. But for that to happen, the powers that kept the world in slavery had to be toppled. For that to happen, God's going to need to come and establish his kingdom once again. Which brings us to our first point. This is the hope. God himself will show up. Now, listening on, uh, as in the prophets, the, the Isaiah brings us the words of God as he looked over his chosen people and the state of their distance from him, their disobedience. I'll read a little bit of Psalm 59 here. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. No, his arm's not shortened. That's the Hebrew way of saying that he can accomplish anything. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Right, so he's talking about that distance between them. It's something that they have done, not, not something that God has done. And this passage goes on to describe the way sin, this selfish, independent nature, this rebellion against God, has caused injustice throughout the land of God's people, and, and certainly throughout the world, as one might expect. But we pick up in, in Isaiah 59, 14 through 16. Listen in. God is still looking over, surveying the land. Justice is turned back. And righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares. Does that sound familiar? Truth has stumbled in the public squares. And uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Yahweh, that's the covenant name of, of God. Yahweh saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. That's to stand in the gap and make things right. He saw no man. Well, of course, he saw humans, but he didn't see the one, right? Who's going to do this? So he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his, up, his righteousness upheld him. No, his arm is not shortened. Okay, I have a question. Did you ever play the game 
and that's a very charitable way to talk about being bullied, um, where someone older than you puts their head, hand on your head and, and push you away while you try to swing back and, and hit them with shorter arms. Do you, do you recall that? Sorry for bringing up that terrible memory. Um, how, how about remember the way you passed that on to the next person with arms shorter than yourself as they're swinging at you? Yahweh saying, my arm is not shortened. <laughs> his arm is, is not shortened. He, he's rolled up his sleeves and he can reach all the way to rescue you or to punish you. His own arm brought him salvation. Yahweh brings salvation, right? Yeah. That's actually um, put together in a name, Yehoshua or Joshua. Yahweh brings salvation, which is actually the name Jesus in, in Greek. So Jesus arrives with the name Yahweh brings salvation. His arm is not too short. And it's as good as done with Jesus on the way, in her womb, because Yahweh is coming to do it for himself. Now think about that. Mary's declaring he has done great things. And that brings us to point number two. God has indeed shown up. In Jesus, we find Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is the Son of the Most High. And he reveals the Father to us. So Jesus is the exact image, the, the spitting image of the Father God. He represents the Father to us. So what is God like, you ask? What does the Creator think? How, how would Yahweh act if he were here among us? Look no further than Jesus, the Messiah. And here's a pro tip. Often people look at the invisible God as presented to us in the Bible and then wonder, well, how does Jesus fit into that picture? As if Jesus is just a slice of that picture. But I think it's far better. And it's really caused a lot of joy in my own heart. And it helps me very much to look at Jesus and allow him to fill in all the gaps since he showed up and is the exact image of God. So what you know about the visible Son, S-O-N, Jesus, let that frame what we know about the invisible Father, because he has come to show us exactly what the Father is like. And remembering that Mary has just become pregnant with Jesus, let me read the passage again and pay attention to when these great things will be accomplished. Right? I've already tipped my hat that he has already done this. So Mary, with Jesus in the womb, can announce that he has shown, Luke 1, 51 through 56, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away. You getting that? He has sent away empty. For he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. I find it really curious that all the statements Mary just made assumed that God has already done these things through the child in her womb. God has shown up. And even though at this point Jesus has not been born, grown up, 
taught the masses, healed the sick, was crucified, buried, and resurrected. He has done these great things. So that's curious, isn't it? Do you think maybe she's saying that since God began this work, we know he's going to complete it? Right? She believes what the angel has told her and is ready to claim that the work is finished. Think with me about that. Now, it's a bit of a time warp, isn't it? But, but if God has started, he's going to complete it. These promises we looked at last week are as good as done in the mind of God. And they're just waiting to be worked out in, in our perspective, in our reality. If it's been declared in heaven, it's just waiting for you and I to see it accomplished on earth. Think about the way, if, if you could live like this, just may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's as good as done if you've declared it. Behold, I am your servant, right? You tracking with me? This leads me to a third point. In Jesus, the answer is yes. Okay, what, what do you mean? Well, Paul, the apostle, wrote to the church in Corinth in what we call 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 22, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Will God come and restore Israel? In Jesus, yes. Will God save the nations? In Jesus, yes. Has God forgotten about us? The answer is no, because he has seen us. That answer is yes in Jesus. So here's an honesty check for you. How many of you see those promises that we even talked about last week as a done deal? Okay, God said it. Okay, that's enough. It's going to happen. What if you did see these promises as a done deal? We looked at it last week. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will make you fishers of men. I will give you rest. I will come back and take you to be with me. Or this one from James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. <laughs> What's the fruit of that in your life? Joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well no tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy rises in my soul and never lets me go. Oh, we need to be thinking about that. It's been done. And in Jesus, the answer is yes. So lastly, I want you and I to find our place in this story. So that brings us to point number four. He still means to show up through you. See, as you turn over the keys to your kingdom and welcome the king in, take the throne, when we, when we pray for his kingdom to become and, and his will to be done, we turn in our sense of control. It's not real control, is it? But it's our sense of control to the one who is worthy. Because it's an upside-down world when Jesus arrives. Remember, all those structures just get flipped. So, 
it was just a, a check. If, if you think that the teachings of Jesus slot in rather nicely to your way of doing life, oh yeah, Jesus thinks a lot the way I, you know, the way I think. You, you might be doing it wrong. <laughs> Does Jesus agree with you on every topic? Boy, we've, <laughs> in my life, I go around and round with God on things. Like, I don't know, I don't know. Last night, I was in a discovery Bible study with a bunch of teenagers. We were looking at Jesus' statement of like, pray for those who have cursed you. <laughs> that does not slot in to my way of thinking. And it, it comes after me. So does Jesus agree with you on every topic? Does he, does he hate all the same people you hate? If you think that way, you, you, you certainly have this backwards, right? Because we, we automatically think our way is the right way. Our truth is the truth and that our life is our own. It's, it's only natural, we say. It's just natural. It's natural to think this way. But remember, brother and sister in Christ, we're not called to a natural life. But, but what? A, a supernatural life. We're called to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we've just read the kind of things that Jesus values in his kingdom. And those then become our values as well. We become the answers to the prayers of the oppressed, the poor, the broken, the sick. We become the answers to the prayers. Now Mary we've been looking at as an exemplar, she made an all-in commitment, body and soul, to bring the kingdom. And she sought a community to support her in that. She goes to Elizabeth, who, who cheers her on in that. So, two questions for you as we close. Um, in what areas of your life do you need God to roll up his sleeves and bring salvation, to bring rescue? In what areas of your life? And also, what are the areas he's calling you to join him in bringing rescue for, right, for him to show up through you? How are you then participating with him in bringing rescue, right? And some people have asked, you know, well, is it about prayer or is it about obedience? Well, yes. <laughs> Do we pray or obey? Yes. Uh, and, and listen to this. I, I think this is some wisdom for you. We pray because some things only God can do. And by pray, I mean make requests of God. Please, God, do this. Not, not the adoration and not necessarily the confession, the, all the aspects of prayer. But I mean, like, like we ask God because some things only God can do. But we obey because some things he leaves for us to do. You tracking with me? We pray because some things only God can do. We obey because some things he leaves for us to do. Let me say it one other way. We don't pray for God to do the things that we should do ourselves. We, we don't pray for God to do the things we should do ourselves. Like, God, help my kids feel loved. Well, that, that might be a great start to a prayer, but loving your kids is a good start to obedience, right? God, help the poor in my city. Might be a good prayer but he quickly turns to you, how many of you have had that experience, <laughs> to fulfill the request. Let me just say this. Like all of us, the world is asking, 
Where is God when it hurts? God may well be asking, where is the church when the world hurts? Let's pray and obey. Let's be an answer to those prayers.